Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Open your Bibles, if you will, this morning. Acts chapter 4. Turn the mic down just a tad. We got some special guests. Of course, all of you are special. Amen. But we have some special guests here this morning. You always hear me talk about my family, right? Well, if you have any questions about the stories I tell, just ask my sister. She's here. Why don't you stand up, Kathy, and her husband, Al. Stand up. Amen. Did you notice the hair color? From the time she was little, she had blonde hair. The rest of us have black hair. So as she was growing up, of course, the older brother told her she was not part of the family. We found her under a rock. And she cried all the time. I don't know why, but... uh, I appreciate my sister. She got saved at 16. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, just been living for the Lord ever since. And so we praise the Lord for her husband. He's, he's a godly man. Been great examples to us as we've been walking with the Lord for all these years. We are in this series called Mission Possible. I'm excited about it. Last week was our first uh, message. And uh, hopefully you are taking notes. And if you haven't, didn't get to hear, wasn't here last week to hear the message, go back on the web to listen to that. Acts chapter 4. Now, we talked last week over in chapter 1. Keep your finger in chapter 4. But in chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you will be, and here's, here is our mission that we re- understood last week. You will be my witnesses. That's our mission that we found out last week that was the Jesus gave this mission to the church right before he left his last words he said you will be my witness Jerusalem Judea Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth so so God has given the church the message all right today we're going to talk about chapter four and that is the enemy of the message all right the enemy of the message just really comes out now Jesus says, your mission is simple. Just talk about me. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. So, so, and we learned last week that in this message, the death, burial, and resurrection, he did it for us. He took our place on the cross so that we could have life. And that message doesn't seem that powerful. But when a person is unsaved and he's home alone and he's thinking about that our job is just to give the message the holy spirit in john chapter 15 what we learn like chapter 16 is we learn that the holy spirit convinces the world of sin righteousness and judgment the sin our sin that we're a mess the righteousness of jesus christ he is the answer and the punishment to come in the future that's what we learned about last week okay so we have this message and when we give it out it, it it's it's you know, for us, you know, it's, it kind of gets, you know, cold and indifferent. We've, we've heard it our lives if we've been safe forever. You know, we heard it all these years. But to the person that has never heard it, oh, God loves me that much. And when they're alone, the Holy Spirit begins to speak. Remember, I gave that illustration last week when I watched the movie The Exorcist. Okay, when I was a kid, 16 years old, laughing during the movie, laughing when we went out for pizza, just the two girls that were with us just act like we was throwing up green stuff, you know, just really having a good time. 
However, the next year, when I was in my bedroom alone, I was looking under the bed. I was scared to this. Well, that's what happens when the person gets away and they get away from the world and they get by themselves. The Holy Spirit begins to recall the gospel and begins to reveal their need and the power of Christ. And then we learned that not only is Jesus the light of the world, but we are the light of the world. Amen? We are the light. A city on a hill, a candle on a candlestick gives light. And it talks about, well, how do we give light? Well, it says our good deeds by loving each other and loving the world around us and loving God. The world sees this. Now, listen very carefully. They see this in us. Of course, the gospel's working. The Holy Spirit's working. They see our light. They're drawn, as we looked at two scriptures last week, they're drawn to to the, the light. And then we reflect them to the Lord. And then, of course, they begin this relationship and they begin to be a follower. So listen, our mission is vital. It's important. It's huge. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gives them their mission. Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people get saved, right? I mean, boom, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 get saved. Chapter 4, there's 5,000 total men, which probably that means 15,000. From chapter 1 to chapter 4, there's 15,000. The Bible says that these Christians are turning the world upside down. Well, of course, the enemy doesn't like that, amen? The enemy, that's, I mean, in Second. In, in Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 his goal is to blind the minds of them that believe not lest they see the glorious gospel and be saved so so we're in this warfare the struggle so in chapter 4 he pops his head up but he pops his head up in this this weird way you think oh man satan dressed up in his red suit with his pitchfork would come out and attack us and you know slow us down but he he pops up in the form of religion and he's trying to stop the church so let's just read this we're going to go down through chapter four and read almost all the verses and then just comment as we go through this all right if you don't have your bibles grab your electronic devices or look on the screen verse one while peter and john were speaking to the people They were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These religious, these leaders, religious leaders, were very disturbed. Well, of course they're disturbed. Because they thought they stopped this movement, right? I mean, they're the ones that were crying, crucify, crucify. We want Barabbas. And now all of a sudden, you know, they thought, hey, it's done with. It's over. This Jesus, we're not going to have any more problem. He's gone. All of a sudden, two of, his, two of his followers are preaching the same message. So they're very disturbed. And it goes on, it says, Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. In other words, there's a future. There's this great future awaits all of you if you want to trust in Jesus Christ. Verse 3, they arrested them, and since it was early evening, they put them in jail until the morning. Many of the people who heard the message believed it, so the number of the men who believed now were totaled about 5,000 people. Verse 5, 
The next day, the council and all the rulers and the elders and the teacher and the religious laws met in Jerusalem. They wanted to talk about these two men. Annas the high priest was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and some of the relatives of the priest. They brought the two disciples and demanded, by what power or whose name have you done this? Done this. Now, we don't know what this is unless you go back to chapter 3. John and Peter are walking into the temple. As they're walking into the temple, there's this, this crippled man. And uh, every morning, somebody would bring him to the temple, and he would hold up his cup, and he would beg for money. And then at nighttime, they would take him home. His entire life, now he's a man. John and Peter are walking in, and they have no money. But they said, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of the Lord, rise up and walk. And so he was healed at that very moment. Okay, so that's what they're referring to this. I mean, where did this come from? How did this happen? And then verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, underline that word filled because we're going to talk about that next week. And I'm going to refer to it over a little bit here today. Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the rulers and elders of the people, Are we being questioned today because of this good deed for the crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Okay, let me clearly state to all of you, people of Israel, that he was healed by the the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Now notice this, the man you crucified. Can you imagine sitting there? No wonder they're disturbed, and by this time, they're pretty distraught. The man you killed now is still working and healing people. And that's what it says. You crucified whom God raised from the dead. He's no longer in the grave. He literally come out. For Jesus is the one referred to in scriptures, the corner that's rejected he's now the cornerstone look at verse 12 and then he explains to all of them there is salvation in no one else god has given no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved in other words guys all of your rules all of your regulations all of your do's and your don'ts and all that stuff doesn't save the only thing that saves is jesus christ And what you did is how people get saved. You crucified him, and it's through the crucifixion that now people turn to and trust in and are saved. Now notice what it says, verse 13. This is great. I mean, it's all great, but look at verse 13. The members of the council were amazed. At what? Notice this. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Okay, so these ordinary men confounded those that have spent a lifetime in the Old Testament. Because why? They skipped one little truth, and that is Jesus is the Savior. And they got completely messed up and saying that he was supposed to come to rescue them. We're not getting into that, okay? So they were, they were amazed at their boldness, that they had no special training. And it also says, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus, okay? Now, this is important as you, as you look through this. The only way that we're going to be able to stand up to religion 
and to the enemy, and just a side note in here, is that we spend time with the Lord. That's the only way to really confront the enemy and be able to accomplish the mission that God's called us to. But let's keep going. All right. So let's now. These religious people from verse 15 on down to verse 22, they threatened the, the disciples. They threatened the, the believers and said, do not preach in this name anymore. We, want, we don't want no more healing, no more good things like people being, you know, kind of reminds you of today. We don't want no more good stuff going on. Stop it. All right. We don't want no more healing. We don't, we don't want any more of this good stuff happening. Now notice what happens in verse 23. So they let him go, and it says, as soon as they were free, now grab a hold of this, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard their report, now notice what they did. They, all the believers lifted up their voice together in prayer to God. Now that's pretty important when you've just been threatened of your life, and not just been threatened, but they killed Jesus. I mean, they literally, I mean, they're saying, don't do it or we're going to do what we did to Jesus to you. That's basically what they were saying. But notice what they, they pray. They lifted up their voice in one accord and said, oh, sovereign Lord, creator of the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. Okay, so they understand who God is. He is sovereign. He's in control of every affair of life. And they said, Lord, you are sovereign, and you spoke to us by the Holy Spirit through David. And David asked the question, why is everybody angry at God? Why does everybody in for not come against God? They can't win, and yet they're fighting against God. And then he goes on in verse 27, and in fact... This has happened here, this very city, where Herod, Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor of the Gentiles, and all the people of Israel were united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. He's, he's building up. Everybody is coming against God's plan. Everyone is united against Christ. And then also the next verse says, to do your will do you get that look at this let's read it not, not that's fleener's interpretation but everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will you talk about so the disciples get it they said jesus christ back with david but even jesus christ all the things they did to jesus was your plan and so here now lord we're bitten threatened so guess what we no, this is your plan. Man, we could camp there, couldn't we? We could camp there. All the problems, all the strauss. Oh, oh, this is, oh, this is God's plan. Man, that's good preaching. Amen. Okay, but we're not, we're not preaching that. Okay. So, so, but notice what they pray. Okay, Lord. That, so, Lord, notice they're threatening. Now, can you deliver us? from these religious people who threatening us and probably going to kill us. Lord, would you, would you make a way for us to escape out of the city so that this doesn't come upon us? That's not what it says. They said, Lord, 
Notice what it says, verse 28, or verse 29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness. See, they understood that God gave them a mission. They understood there's an enemy, but they understood the power of God. And so, Lord, I don't want anything. I don't, I don't want Satan. I don't want these demons. I don't want religious knotheads. I don't want nothing stopping us from fulfilling the mission that you've given to us. So, Lord, grant us boldness. Now, the whole church is praying this. They're united. And then notice what it says. This is good. Boldness to do what? Preach the word. Stretch out your hand. He asked for something else. Not only boldness. Stretch your hand. With healing powers, may miraculous signs and wonders be done in your holy servants, Jesus. In the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then notice this, after the prayer, and here again, we're going to talk about this next week. The meeting place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, didn't this happen earlier? Chapter 2? Didn't this happen earlier? Chapter Three, and now it's happening again, and it continues to happen throughout the book that they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, now notice the results. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and this happens over and over, they literally preached the Word of God. What word? The message that Jesus gave them. The death, burial, and the resurrection. You will be witnesses of me. When the Holy Spirit will come upon you and that power will help you, literally carry you out to fulfill my mission in preaching Jesus Christ. These people that tell you that they're filled with the Holy Spirit, but they don't have boldness and they're not speaking Jesus, guess what? It's not happening. The Holy Spirit filling you promotes talking about Jesus. Not talking about yourself, not talking about your church, not talking about, it's talking about the Lord. So this, this is literally, we have the mission, and as they're turning the world upside down, all of a sudden the enemy says, stop! But the gospel is unstoppable. Can I hear an amen? amen? Is everybody with me now? All right. Unstoppable. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're involved in our mission that God's called us, even the enemy can't stop the church that Jesus started. Jesus said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell, all the hosts of hell and Satan himself can't stop the church. So what we're doing this morning, it's unstoppable. Isn't that exciting? It's, it's, it's just, nothing can stop us. Simple, simple stuff about just witnessing. So I'm going to talk for the next few minutes that we have left about our enemy. And I'm going to zero in on him. The next we're going to zero in on being filled with the Holy Spirit because we have the mission, we have the enemy, but now we need the power to overcome the enemy and carry out the mission. Everybody follow? We can't, we can't, uh, uh, first we've got to understand the mission. If we don't understand the mission, we can't fulfill it. So we got to understand the mission. That was what last week. And now we've got to understand that as we're trying to do this, Satan is all over us. The point is, there is a major spiritual battle in the unseen world that we don't see that's there. 
And so he's working. And the only way he can get victory is if we don't understand his schemes and his tactics that he's involved with. Okay, you know what I mean? So we, we want to we understand. And, and mo- many of you are bl- new believers. And so write this stuff down. All right? Get your pen, get your paper. Write this stuff down so you know how he works. So when that comes up, you can say, duh, that's the enemy trying to get me, you know, to stop fulfilling the mission that God's called me to do. All right? So I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 6. Read one verse there as we talk about this. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 12. Now this is the church. This is to us. For we, you and me, for we fight. We are not fighting flesh and blood enemies. Our enemies that we have every day, when you... When you get upset at somebody, understand that's not the enemy that we're fighting against. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against spirit, our evil rulers and authority, authorities of the unseen world. Mark it down. Against mighty powers of this dark world. Against spiritual or against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Hmm. Interesting. So let me give you three thoughts from the, these verses, all right? And write these down. It's very, very good. Okay, the, the, the forces of evil that we are fighting with, that we are facing on a daily basis. Now, when we're engaged, listen, when we're engaged in the mission, this is what we face. The people that really understand, listen very carefully, the people that really understand the battle and that have experienced it are those that are actually involved in the mission. C.S. Lewis said this years ago. He said, believers fall in two, two camps when it comes to the d- demonic world. Number one, they ignore it. They don't believe it's real. And, and, and it seems like that's where most people land. They say in their mind, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a theory. It's kind of a... But, They just ignore it. Secondly, they're fascinated with it. Either way, what happens is you ignore the teaching of the Word of God, and then He neutralizes you. He puts you on the sideline. And you're no longer engaged in the mission. Okay? So this is a real battle. That not just the preachers, not just deacons, not just band members... Everybody, everybody that's saved, every person that has placed their trust in Jesus Christ has been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors, as we learned last week, we're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And so when we step into that arena to fulfill our mission, evil forces that come against us are very powerful forces. Very powerful. That's the, th- the thrust of this, is that the enemy, the God of this world, he is powerful. The Bible says this in, 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 in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert, because your enemy, Satan, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Two words I want to bring out. Seeking whom he may devour. The word devour means to gulp, means to swallow whole, totally take it. Satan... He's after everyone he possibly can to devour us. 
The word seeking means planning, scheming, strategizing. I mean, he's literally planning out your gulp, your demise. Because his goal is to set you on the sideline so you're no longer effective for the cause of Christ. The second thought is the forces of evil are numerous. Notice what it says. It says, it says uh, principalities, powers of the darkness of this world. And it says spiritual wickedness in high places. This is, let's go back to that verse in chapter 6. This is what it says. It says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities. Now notice this, of the unseen world. See, it's, it's hard for us to understand that all around us are these demons and this raging battle taking place over the souls of men. He's got the church asleep today. We don't even. How many thought about when you walked into this church this morning that you were entered into a war zone? <laughs> That's what this is. This is a war zone. Satan is working hard. His demons are working hard to keep people blinded from the gospel so they won't be saved. Now, everybody might be saved. So the second thing he's doing is keeping you quiet so that you don't get engaged. So you're, you know, on the sideline and you're cheering the one or two people that's out there engaged. And really, most people aren't cheering. They're just watching the battle. That's the reality of this. So basically, the thrust of this is there's a large number of evil forces that are fighting. And the third thought is, before we get into the Satan and his tactics, is the forces of evil are apparently organized. Because all of these words are different. Apparently, there's a government of hierarchy of evil. There's a chain of command that God sends, or Satan sends his demons out, and then demons send other demons out specifically for a task against us. So this is a major war in this unseen world over the souls of men and over us. So let's, let's, let me, six things I want to talk about. Six things. We have plenty of time. Can I hear an amen? Normally we don't, but today we do. Got about 30 minutes left. Amen. Let's all try that. I'll say 30 minutes. You say, all right. Did you like that over here? Everybody? Yes. You got to talk to me now. I got 30 minutes left. You got to be engaged. I don't want to lose you here. All right. All right. So let's go over these six, these six tactics that he uses. And we'll put most of the scripture on, 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 the, on the screen here. First of all, number one. The seductive spirit. Listen to what it says in verse 1 and 2 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith and they will follow, notice that, seductive spirits. Now, now it's not just seductive spirits, but notice it says, and teachings that come from demons. <laughs> did, you, did, you hear, did you see that? I mean, who comes to church thinking, oh, I'm going to hear a message that comes from demons. <laughs> okay, but in the last days, that's what happened. They're going to follow these people that are teaching these things. Seductive spirits. Now, I'll give you an ex- example of this. 
years ago, I mean, very first church back 1987, maybe. No, it was actually, actually, I turned my first church over to this guy. His name was John. That's as far as we'll go. And I went to visit him one time, and uh, I was in Hastings, Nebraska. He was still in Norfolk. And so I went to visit, and he was preaching on forgiveness. And he, he preached that. Now, now listen to this. He preached a message on forgiveness, and he said this. You do not have to forgive somebody unless they come to you and ask for forgiveness. I mean, just boldly said that. Now, can I say that that teaching and that doctrine comes from demons? Because if you don't forgive people, guess what's going to happen? Okay, let's go to 2nd. Do we have 2nd Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 up there? Look what 2nd Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says. Okay. So that Satan will not outsmart us or get an advantage of us, for we are familiar with his schemes or his tricks. And Okay, so in this context, we don't have time to go through it. You know what evil scheme he's talking about here? The context is talking about unforgiveness. I mean, whether a brother or, whether a brother or sister asks forgiveness or not, when you harbor unforgiveness, that turns into bitterness. And, and then it just leads you into bondage. Whether they come to you or not, you have to forgive so that you can be set free. Period. And so there's a lot of that stuff going on because people are not in the book. They don't. Scripture interprets Scripture. Okay, so number one, and I just got to move along. Uh, seductive spirits. Number two, he masquerades in costumes of light. Write this verse, these verses down. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, And I'm going to read these. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 13 says this. And talking about the context of these false prophets, he says, these people are false prophets. They de- they're deceitful workers and disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. So it's no and false prophets, false teachers. So it's no surprise that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, this is the amazing thing. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Now, grab a hold of that. Sometimes people say they're servants of the, of the Lord. And they are servants of God. And you say, well, how do you know the difference? Because sometimes they preach the same stuff. How do you know the difference? Well, when you go back to Matthew in chapter 7, it says, by the tree you will know them. And then it goes on and talks about their deeds. See, a lot of people are preaching this stuff, but they're being used by the enemy. And you can tell because of their love, their deeds. I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, I'll give you an example. One time. A guy was going door to door to start a church, and he was coming off the off the off the steps, and it was icy, and he slipped and fell, and the people at the door didn't answer. And what happens? He got mad, and he said, "Okay, then, just go to hell." You get the phrase? That's not love. That's not compassion. He was there to get people into his church. 
He didn't really care about that person. So, so you know, our words and our deeds, you will know them by their fruits. Because the Bible says, you will know that you are my disciples if you what? Have love one for another. These people with these attitudes and they're mean and they're nasty and yet they call them Christian. You will know them by their fruits. Amen. A reality. All right, we've got, we got to move along. We've got a lot of stuff to go over. So, so they, they disguise themselves. And number three is he blinds the minds of unbelievers. Okay, we already went over 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. But I'm going to go to Luke. I want to spend some time with this parable in Luke chapter 8. So open your Bibles or your phones, whatever, your electronic devices to Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. Again, we're talking about he blinds the minds. Who? Satan. This is the meaning of the parable. So he already talked about the parable in the first part. Now he's going to explain to the disciples what it is. He said, the seed is the word of God, verse 12. The seed fell on the footpath represented those that hear the message only to have Satan, the devil, come and take it away from their hearts. Is that a big deal? Notice the rest of it. Notice the rest of it. Preventing them from believing and being saved. Every time that we're planting the seed, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, understand there's this demonic world that's around just waiting for us to leave so Satan can pounce on that and pluck the word so they won't be saved. I mean, it's right there. So he blinds the mind. Then look at verse 13, the next one. He lies about adversity. He lies about adversity. Verse 13. The seed also fell on rocky soil, which represented those that hear the message, receive it with great joy, or with joy. But since they don't have any deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face what? Temptation, adversities, trials. See, a lot of people... They get saved, but they think, well, when I get saved, all my troubles are going to stop. It's supposed to be a better life. I look at all these other Christians. Man, they seem like they got their life together. Not. You only see the outside. Satan is vicious to those that are engaged in the, the mission. Okay? So what does Satan do? He lies to us. He says, if God really loved you, he would not allow you to go through all of these troubles. All of these problems, when, when in reality, the truth is just the opposite. God loves you so much, He wants you to mature, He wants you to grow. And so He takes you through those adversities, those trials to make you stronger, so that when things happen, nothing can rob your joy. Nothing can steal your abundant life. You can live above the storm. You don't have to live a Christian life like, because guess what? People look at that and they say, man, he's just like me. Why do I want what he's got? It's no better than what I got. Can you hear an amen? But that's, what, that's what the world thinks. That's the way the world views. We go through trials specifically to make us stronger and our faith stronger. And then look at verse 14. One more. Then the seed fell among the thorns that represented those that hear the message. 
And all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and the pleasure of this life. And so they never grow to maturity. Application is powerful. Satan gets us to value the things of this world more, listen, than the mission that he's called us on. Now the word cares here means distraction. God's called us in, in Acts chapter 1 and then all through the New Testament. He's called us to talk about his name, to, to, to spread the gospel, the death, the burial. He did it for you. God has called us to, to be that light, to shine so they can see it in the darkness of the world. This is what I want. And then they, the Holy Spirit brings them. But instead of sharing the gospel, Satan tells us that getting riches are more important than that. Because the riches choke the word of God. Okay? It drowns, it strangles. So as we are, you know, valuing the riches of this world, we're putting more energy, more thoughts. We're putting everything we have into getting money and riches so that we can, you know, make a living. And the whole time we just drop the ball over here. And so what we're doing, we don't even know we're doing it. We're just valuing these things more than the mission. And so what happens over here chokes out. And you wonder, why, why isn't people all over this city getting saved? I mean, there's some great churches here. What is the deal? Why is there not very many people getting saved? It's because they're valuing not just riches, but the pleasures of this life. Man, nothing better than pleasures. Amen. I love movies. Anybody like to go to the movie? Now they got this great movie theater in town. I can sit down. I can sit down. They don't just bring me popcorn and Diet Coke. And that's really all I need. Butter. Can I hear an amen? Okay. I mean, I love the movies. All right. Now they bring me a pizza. You talk about pleasure. I get to be entertained. Not a care in this world, honey. Shh, I'm watching a movie and eating my pizza. No, seriously, she enjoys it too. We, we, we just went this week and we split a pizza. What was that movie called, honey, we went to? Peppermint. Oh. Some little white girl saved the world. Shocking that she was able to beat down the biggest guys. Of course, it wasn't true. Right? None of that's true, but man, I just love... When somebody's down and out and they come up, the victorious. Can I hear an amen? Just fantastic. So the point is, we like riches, we like pleasures, and this over here. Well, the, the, here's what the Bible says. As you go after the money, because you've got to take care of you, you take the gospel with you. Everywhere you go, go into all the world. That means when you go to the bank, take the gospel. When you go to the store, take the gospel. When you, you don't have to let this down. You just value this more. That's it. He's not telling you you can't enjoy the pleasures of going to a movie, but when he comes and brings you the food, say, hey man, here's a track, get out of my way. Here, get Jesus, you know, I want to watch this movie. You know, you you do the same thing. Then they laugh and have fun, and and people really are moved. We've been praying for um, Mark 
I'm praying for his dad. Uh, how long ago, Mark, were you at? Mark, did you tell me your dad was close to death in a hospital in Omaha? How, how long ago has that been? Okay, so, so we've been really praying for Mark's dad, that he would get saved. I mean, we, we just don't know. So we pray, God, work out circumstances that he'll get saved. I said, I said Mark, I'm going up there for a wedding. I want to stop by and I want to talk to his dad. And I want to win his dad to the Lord. So Lord, just use me to win his dad to the Lord. And then while I'm there, I might as well win his rest of his family to the Lord, right? That's what I'm praying. God, use me, use me. So I get up there. Of course, his brother's there and mom's there. So I can't really talk that much. And so I just pray with them. And I give them the gospel, but hoping the Holy Spirit works. And then I leave. Mark goes and visits them. I leave, and like an hour, he comes in. And Mark, he, he sits there and leads his dad to the Lord. He leads his mom to the Lord. And he leads his brother to the Lord. Isn't that great? That's fantastic. So the, the point is now, you know, Satan didn't get the victory. Now he can go ahead and die and he's going to go up on high and he's going to spend eternity with his son. That's fantastic. Satan did not win. I'm telling you, the church is unstoppable. When all of us engage, some plant, some water, but God is the one that gives the increase. But we all have to be engaged. It's fantastic when we're all engaged. And, and last of all, and I'm not going to put it up there. We don't have time to go through it. But the last one is he calls the divisions in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it talks about how Satan gets involved in the church. And over these little spats about, well, pastor's wearing skinny jeans. I just don't like it. All right? And I don't have skinny jeans, by the way. I would never wear skinny jeans. But don't, they're really tight, aren't they? Just... <laughs> Every time I sit down, I just feel like I want to just, okay. I, I just thought I'd throw that out there. All right. Or whatever. Short socks. I mean, whatever. I mean, we get, we get wrapped. Oh, the music's too loud. We'll move to the back. Amen? Oh, he doesn't use King James. But I go into the Greek and talk about the Greek. Can I hear an amen? amen. And, and, and trust me, the King James is in my brain. All right. We do what needs to be done to reach people. So we want everybody on board with that. We'll do anything this side of sin to reach people for Christ. We won't sin to reach people. We'll do anything, even the bouncy houses, and then bribe people to come to church just to hear the gospel. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Amen? I mean, do whatever as long as they get to hear the message. Because when they hear the message, they get alone. Remember, the Holy Spirit convinces of sin, convinces of Jesus Christ and His righteousness, and convinced there is a judgment to come. It's powerful. So we got this powerful enemy, and there's this war raging. But here's the good news. We're going to tap into it next week. We're going to close here in just a moment. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit of God that lives in me and lives in you, the same Spirit that lives in you, lives in me. And he's more powerful than the God of this world. And so no matter what he tries to do, 
you can surrender to the Holy Spirit and you can usher to the throne for help and God will bind the strong man and allow your message to touch the hearts and the lives of people around you. And I promise you, just that simple message of what God done for you, he just saved me. I prayed and asked Jesus to come to my heart and save me. And he did save me. I mean, he just loves me that much. That, that message alone, just, the, just those few words, they penetrate because of the Holy Spirit of God. Because of the Holy Spirit of God. The Word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, but it's the power of God unto salvation. So you've got to get it out. And then the Holy Spirit does His work. So we, real life, we can be victorious and we can reach our 75, amen? We're at 37, 38. You know, and, and not that numbers count, not that numbers matter, but we want God to use us in this mission. Can you hear me? Amen? We're getting ready to baptize in a, in a month. We're going to baptize about five people, five more people. Praise God. God is working, but we've got to get on board together. All of us make a commitment. I'm no longer going to let Satan neutralize me and keep me on the bench. I'm literally going to jump into the fight. And I'm going to fight alongside of my brothers and sisters so more people will get saved and hear the message and be gloriously brought to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so thankful for your word. God, it is... It is so rich. It is so powerful. And it literally laser focuses us, our life, our lives on your word and on your calling. And there's so many things that we get wrapped up in, Lord. Help us to this week to be able to identify where some of these distractions are coming from. And some of our priorities. Help us to, to reshuffle them to the place where it's all about you and your kingdom and not me and my kingdom. God, how I pray that you would help us to really be, just jump in this, in this war and realize that in the midst of the war with you by our side, there can be not just, even when the bullets are flying, there can be joy, there can be abundant life. We don't have to be wrapped up in the worries and the cares of this life because you are with us as we fulfill your mission. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And everybody said? Amen. Amen.